You're listening to Chatting with Copywriters. I'm your co-host, Bobby Lind. And I'm Kimberly Camp. In each episode, we break down the mysteries of copywriting and marketing. Thank you for tuning in to Chatting with Copywriters. In this episode, we get really deep dive into the readability of the copy that, you're, that you have. But before we get to that, Kimberly, I've got a question for you. Ooh, a question for me. I gotta love our questions. And for those of us, uh, for those of you who are new to our podcast, you gotta know that Bobby and I, we like to talk about pretty much anything and then trying to figure out how to relate it back to marketing. So Bobby, hit me with it. What is the question? All right, so I've got two books that I'd like to talk to you about. Pride and Prejudice, classic, right? Very, uh, you know, everybody reads it in school. And Fifty Shades of Grey, both very similar, very similar in the very overarching theme. But what I want to know from you is take a guess. How many copies did each one sell? Oh, wow. Okay. I I just want to preface this by saying I did not actually read Pride and Prejudice and I have not read Fifty Shades of Grey, but I do know the general story. (laughs) Well, but see, then that's even what's better because this question Almost everybody understands, have, has heard of both of them. I've also not read them, but okay. how many copies did each, did each sell? All right. So I'm going to take into my mind that there were a heck of a lot less people on the planet when Pride and Prejudice came out, uh, mm-hmm. but also that uh, a lot more people read because uh, there was nothing else to do. There was no TV. So um, I'm going to say that Pride and Prejudice, I'm going to throw out uh, oddball numbers here. I'm going to say Pride and Prejudice sold 2.13 million copies and Fifty Shades of Grey sold 4 million. All right. Pride and Prejudice for the number of years that it has been out. And this, you know, it doesn't take into account. It doesn't. Uh, Okay. It doesn't. And this, this, it doesn't take into, no, it does take into account that, you know, the price of books back then versus even the price of books back now. So just the number of copies sold of Pride and Prejudice, 20 million copies. Wow. Right? Which is awesome, especially for a book that has been written as long as it has. 20 million copies worldwide have been purchased on Pride and Prejudice. Okay. All right. So now that you take that into account, how many copies do you think Fifty Shades of Grey sold? 50. 125 million copies in the first eight weeks that it was published. Wow. That is, I mean, I knew that it was really popular. I remember when it came out, literally everyone around me was reading it and talking about it. And I was like, why is everyone talking about this one book? Because I knew the origin story kind of. And I was like, that's really strange. Um, or even the content and where they went with it. You're like, hey, oh, I don't know. I that was like, what I about the content. I didn't really care. <laughs> but uh, it was so intriguing to me that at the time, it was still a time when not a lot of people read, right? I, I knew so many people were like, oh my gosh, I hate reading. And yet they went out and bought Fifty Shades of Grey to read. Uh, so I, wow, 125 million. In- I know, it, it's, it's amazing. And one of the reasons that it did so was because the language of Pride and Prejudice is, it's pompous, to a point. I mean, it's very official. It's very uh, floral, very old style. 
Yeah. But it, it comes across as, I mean, it is truly proper English when you're reading it. You know, at least the parts that, that I did read. Not that, you know, I'm sorry if my uh, high school uh, <laughs> teacher is listening. I didn't actually read this book. I read the cliff notes. Right. But Fifty Shades of Grey is it's written in a very different language. It's written in the language that people think it's written in that language on how, how we think, not necessarily how we read. And it's not fully proper English in the way that it's doing it. And so the, the, one of the reasons that the books are so different in its sales component is because of the language and how the author writes to the reader which moves us into our topic today. It does. It does move us into our topic because such a huge part of proper copywriting is basically take all of the rules of grammar, take all of the rules that you were drilled into your head in school and throw them out the window and watch them crash to the ground and splat and then get run over by a car. Uh, Caveat, when it's it's the right time to do that, right? I mean, don't don't totally screw up your English. words you want that say supercalifragilistic and then say Mars mission one or something but you know great copy and great marketing campaigns uh, they are written in your audience's language and they're written in the way that they are thinking the way they're speaking they there are slight differences because it's the written word and it's not spoken out loud and you don't want to be too informal because that's actually too far but it's true that um you know, a huge part of creating great copy is creating copy that's readable. And, uh, you know, you, you have to be able to say, okay, this is simple enough that so-and-so can understand it. I mean, I had a client that this was part of their, their deal, right? They wanted a voice guide and their whole spiel was it has to be so simple. Their content has to be so easy to understand that anybody could understand it from the housekeeper to the hotel manager to an IT guy could understand their content. I was like, okay, that makes sense because what they were doing was very complex. And I ran an FK score. I'm assuming you've heard of an FK score. Uh, yeah. Uh, Flesher Kincaid, right? No. Right. It's the, yeah. the Fleisch Kincaid. Uh, yeah. It's the readability thing, right? I ran an FK score on every single piece of marketing they sent to me. Nothing scored below a 14. That's awesome. Nothing scored below a 14. And I, I responded back to them and I was like, this is what you create is really complex. Now, I also looked at, because they, they were like, oh, we really like the style of these research publications. So I went and I ran the FK for those. And those were like 10. So I was like, okay, so industry standard is 10 because of the types of terms they're using. Because if you're a hotel manager, you do know what RevPAR is. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, well, then you're going to be a crappy hotel manager, you know? So, you know, FK doesn't take into account what is their background. But I ran it against all of the other big publications they really liked, other commonly used ones, that kind of thing to say, okay, what is the industry standard? And I was like, you're still like six steps above. Your stuff's not simple enough. Mm-hmm. And I gave them a bunch of tools. Sorry. So I would, I would question your yes. thought process that okay. just because industry standard is a 10 or above yeah. because of the terminology that yeah. you can't portray it in a better, simpler way. 
the reason I say that is I write for doctors. Yeah, no, I know. Hypertension, um, you know, all of the sciatica nerves, all the technical terms that they have. And I have never given my clients anything that is above a grade seven. And I usually aim for grade eight. I usually aim for grade eight. Um, Uh Again, my stuff's B2B, so it's, uh, I can't say if it converts or not. I can say if it converts or not if they gave me answers. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I was trying to bridge the gap for them Uh because they were writing at a 14 to 20 level. So I was like, if you can get your stuff down to a 10 or 11, that's a huge step forward for them. It is is a huge step. And a lot of it's just making, really, it's making the sentences shorter is a start. I know. It's making the sentences shorter. It's explaining every new concept you introduce, Um, especially if you're talking about, oh, I don't know artificial intelligence and machine learning, because guess what? I was reading their stuff and I was like, I'm going to fall asleep. I like tech stuff. It's interesting to me. I was going to fall asleep. And everything written by their CEO was oh, horrid, absolutely horrid. I mean, it was literally like uh-huh. four syllable words, seven of them in a sentence or something. <laughs> I'm just like, ah. <laughs> well, and you know, I actually come from a technical background, right? And hey, one of the things... Science. Yes. Yeah. I'm a uh, yeah, computer scientist. Um, I have a BS <laughs> in comp sci. Right. Um, so I understand a lot of that terminology and technology. And one of the things that I did really well throughout my career as I as I, you know, went up in the ranks and made it all the way up eventually to supercomputing. OK, I could take supercomputing and talk to the normal average person and get them to understand it. But that's the ability to take super complex concepts and create them for the individual, right? Or the average individual. That's one of my specialties is being like, okay, you explain it to me. I'll ask questions for anything I don't understand. And then I will rewrite it so that other people can understand it. Like I'm the, I'm the middle, right? I have some tech background, some software. I am, I'm a translator. Um, because I, I come from a computer family, you know, like every male in my family is an IT guy. Um, mm-hmm. and I know more than the basics, not much more, but a lot more than like the average person would know. But I can also understand, like, if you tell me what you're doing, you explain it to me. And if I don't understand something, I'll ask for clarification. But then I can explain it to everybody else. Like I just got an email. I just wrote a bunch of emails for my client who I'm kind of doing the whole, the whole launch for, but they're not launching for a couple more months. Um, and she was like, Oh my gosh, I love these emails. It's like a good friend is explaining this to me and you make complex things sound simple. So I was like, can I use that as a testimonial? I'm putting that on my website <laughs> because it was exactly what I needed. But you know, so and for what they're doing, it wasn't necessarily complex. It was how to navigate their platform. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, whatever. It's it's still useful. And that's kind of really what I like to do is take the complex. I find it fascinating. And I will explain it to the man on the street. That's great. But, again, I, don't, I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with this. Well, that's, I mean, but... That in and of itself is one of the biggest problems that almost any company has, right? Almost Mm -hmm. every company out there will try to make what they do sound so complicated that, 
oh my God, they're the only one that can do this because it's complicated. I'm like, here's the deal. That works for the very smallest part of your sales, right? Yes. You need to set up what you've done, all the time and all the effort and all the education and the reading and the blood and the sweat and the tears that you put in to create your product or service needs to be a part of your marketing. It yeah. doesn't need to be all of your marketing. And in fact, it is the smallest part of your marketing that just says enough to go. I went and did all this work and that's why you come to me. But because I, gave you I have now created this solution that makes it easy for you to take advantage of that. And that's then the difference between oh my God, this is overly complex and I'm going to put somebody to sleep and it's, uh, because I'm, I'm so passionate about, you know, the derivatives and the math behind it. And, you know, how do I take the calculus that I did a gazillion years of in college and, to create this amazing algorithm that then can understand the intricacies of Facebook and why it works and all it, right? Look, you can talk about that, but then you say, and I've packaged it to where, you know, the average person is not ever going to get to that level of understanding. And you need to know right. that and then say, this is why you need this, because this is why you need it for me, because I did all of this work and I put together right. a solution that then makes your life easier. Right. So, sure, you can go and try and get the knowledge that I have. It'll take you 20 years. It'll take you one hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand dollars to go get the degree and then. 10, 10 additional years of blood, sweat, and tears, and trial and error, right? Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Sure, you can go do that. Or you can pay me for the solution that I've created, that I've now named, and it's become this amazing you know, thing that you now get to take advantage of my named solution. And that's the basics of any kind of marketing. Oh, I know. The, um, the big thing for me is, you know, I, I work with a lot of software companies, and you go to their sites and it's all feature, 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 feature. And it was like, but what does that mean for your client? And they're like, well, you know, it's it's 4X computing power. I'm like, well, that's great. Why do I care? You know, and it's but my the 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 system I use and it's not like a, an official. Okay, I'm not going to say that, but the system I use is all about how to research, how to help find those definitions missions and how to help define exactly what people need to know before they're ready to get in touch with you. Um, and that's, that's in a nutshell, a very long nutshell, the concierge conversion method. Um, and also uh, another big part of it, which I need to come up with a little bullet point for to name it, but another big part of it is being able to talk like an actual human. Um, because a lot of all of this information and everything, it's all great. But a huge part of what you then do is you give all of this knowledge, you give you answer all of these questions, but in a in a more informal way. Bring in customer service back into your marketing so that you are cutting down on all those calls of I don't understand this. Why isn't this working? All of that kind of stuff, because it's built in. You are guiding the people who come to your Web page. You're guiding them to the right path who interact with your marketing. You're guiding them to the right path. And then you're putting them in that email sequence that continues to guide them along and answers the questions they didn't even know they had so that they think they've had this amazing experience and they've gotten all their questions answered. And it was really easy to interact with you because it's all about ease of use. You know, 
Um, uh-huh. I just sent out a newsletter the other day. You're on my list, I think, actually. I am, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, my newsletter yesterday was about how I had to change my flight. And it was so easy. I clicked a button that said, change your flight. Great. Awesome. It was done in like two clicks. Whereas in the past, you know, you have to call them up. You go through a prompt queue. You have to, you know, mentally view the list of options. I mean, it was a nightmare. But so many companies make it that difficult to do something that a lot of people want to do. It's hidden somewhere because they're like, oh, well, we want them to know this, not this. And I'm like, that's what they need to know. So that needs to be front and center. Yeah, I just did a a massive project for a company that they didn't really, they wanted me to try and get into the explanation and make their product, you know, something that people would buy. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into the explanation, they're like, we can't say that. No, we're not going to say that. We won't say that. And I'm like, look, here's the deal. (laughs) A copywriter will help you sell anything, right? But a copywriter doesn't understand the legal aspects of your business. Legal no. will stop Understands you, the legal but aspect legal will stop you from selling anything, right? right. And so your yeah. job as a company is to understand where you want to take a level of risk. Because here's the deal. If you can say that your product is heart healthy, right? And that's what legal will allow you to say. Or it, it helps support heart health, right? That's the only thing that you're allowed to say. You are not going to sell products by just repeating that over and over and over and over again. Because people want to know how. How does it help? Even if you suggest, you know, even if you go, look, studies have been done by third-party organizations that say this ingredient or this vitamin helps support heart health in this manner, right? You're not claiming that your product does it, you are implying that the ingredients that you use or the ingredients that you put so much time and effort for based on all of that study work that's been done, you're implying that somebody will get some of those benefits. And then you can go, then you hit that legal side that says your results may vary. You know, this isn't, you know, this doesn't always happen. And, you know, you have to balance it with what do you hear on every health product? You have to balance it with a healthy diet and exercise routine. Contact your, consult your doctor before it's, adding anything new yeah, into your, your normal physician. routine. Consult your physician. Consult your health professional. So, but that's really where, you know, you can have a complex problem. You know, the arterial buildup of calcium in your cardiovascular system. Your legal, legal will tell you you can't say arterial buildup. You can't say that we improve it and you can't call it a cardiovascular system. Well, legal is trying to protect you. And the problem is in protecting you, you can't actually sell anything. And then the copywriter will say, all of these wonderful ingredients will fix everything for you. It's the best thing in the world. And you're like, "Um, okay, so we can't say that. And we can't go to the other extreme. Somewhere in the middle is where a company has to make the decision. Where do they fall? Right. Where's their level of risk that they're willing to accept? Because it is ultimately the company that is the one making who's the risk. Yeah. You have no risk. You're like, uh, it's yours. It's not mine. You're responsible for legal claims. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't necessarily I don't write in a way that says, you know what? Screw it. I don't give I don't give a crap about the legal aspect of it. Because guess what? Right. If 
if I submit something that I know is never going to pass any legal screen or is going to get a company in trouble, as a copywriter, how long do you think I'd be in business? Right? Exactly. And so I will push the envelope. And I'm happy with, oh, the best line I ever heard from one of my CFOs in the past was, I'm happy with gray. We'll, we'll walk in the gray area because gray is up to interpretation and you then have that opportunity. And a lot of law, by the way, is actually written in very gray where it can be interpreted yeah. in many different ways. I'm not happy with black. I will not cross that line. I don't go into this is just, you know, I won't make a claim that anything cures cancer. There's a lot of things out there that do make that claim. And I don't, I don't write like that. I don't claim that, you know, this is going to improve any, every heart disease that you've ever had, right? Or, you know, any of that type of stuff. I don't write like that. I will write to say that studies have shown that this is possible for the different ingredients, but I will never write for any company and say this, this fixes, you know, this will stop cancer in its tracks. And you'll see that a lot in a lot of the marketing that goes on today, but you know, legal then, you know, then they're like, um, I wonder why we have a legal problem. And so it's really important for you as, as a business to make sure that specifically in some of the industries that you're in, that you really do reach out to a lawyer and they'll tell you not, they'll tell you what to do to never make a sale and a copywriter or your marketing will say, this is everything that you have to do to get the sale and really pick that fine line in between there. But it's really important for that. That is, I do stress, make sure that if you're going to put something out there, that's such a heavy claim like that, just get it checked by your legal counsel. Yeah, and that's a really great way to end this, this segment on readability is because it's not just about legal. It's not just about does it does it match the, the legal statements. It's also about, you know, are you writing this in a way that people truly understand what you're talking about? So, Bobby, yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty great place to end. Do you have any final thoughts on, you know, how to make sure that your copy is readable and, and something that your audience can understand? Oh, for sure. So there's, there's two things that I do with everything that I write for my, for my clients. The first one is I read it out loud. Okay. So if you'd have it, if you don't read it out loud or when you read it out loud, for sure, you capture some things that are difficult that trip you up or that you hear it a little bit differently and you go, Oh my God, I need to expand on this. So that's the first thing that I do. The other thing that I do to improve readability is I use um, an application uh, then you, you can actually just, it's not something that you have to download onto your computer. You can actually go to the website. I use HemingwayApp.com because it really helps visualize with highlights and all sorts of different stuff, what's going on in your writing and how and where you can simplify it and just make it that much easier to use and read. So what about yourself? Yeah, I, I'm going to second the, the Hemingway app, but also if you are using um, a word processor of any kind, uh, most of them do have readability tools built in. One of the more popular ones is, as we mentioned at the, at the top of the show, the Fleisch Kincaid. Uh, there's a bunch of different ones that you can try and use. But basically, you know, run your stuff through it, right? And I'm not saying run your stuff through it when you first write it, because you really want it to be as close to ready to publish as possible before you put it through this readability thing, because it's, it can be easy to create uh, something that's more readable. Uh, but if you're constantly changing something as you write, it also it's going to lose something in the process. So make sure that when you're you're pretty close to being ready, you want to do like maybe a final read through. Go ahead and run a readability uh, score and see how you how you score. Um, and as we said earlier, you know it depends on your industry. It depends on a lot of different factors. But 
you really want to make sure that at least it's not scoring like an 18. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Chatting with Kathy Writers. Uh, My name is Kimberly Whitecamp. And I'm Bobby Lind. For more information on our podcast and episodes, check us out at chattingwithcopywriters.com. And if you liked this episode and want to get more episodes delivered directly to you, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you have any topics that you'd like us to discuss or want to be a, a guest on our show, fill out our contact form and we'll be happy to get back to you.